0: One. It, is, it, is it gone? Let me check the date. It is the second. So yes, 2020 is now done. You, Happy New Year, everybody. This
1: isn't one of those dramatic fake outs at the end of the movie. No, no.
0: Where would, 2020
1: rises from the dead?
0: No, thank god. Oh, I would hope not. <laughs> Well, technically, this year is going to be most of 2020 Resurrections, now yeah. releasing in 2021. Yeah. So this year is going to be hell for trying to find out what to watch each week. <laughs>
1: 2021, 2022, Rise from the Ashes. Oh, yeah.
0: Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And you know the spiel. We take a trio of films that, that are connected by thematic elements number maybe even similar cast and crew and we go film by film to talk about the good the bad and the weird but right now the weird is there is no trilogy today (laughs) you know since it's 2021 we decided to uh take a bit of a break between trilogies and just go through our favorites of the year with our top 10 lists our own respective ones so Mm -hmm. this podcast is just going to be as we'll try to be as straightforward as can be but um (laughs) We are going to be doing top tens of both of our lists, which I've gotten a hint of yours, Andy, and the fact that I don't think it's anywhere near the same makes me happy, because that means we'll have some fun conversations. Yeah, diversity. A bigger variety. But um, before we get into that, I mean, on Christmas Day, or is it the day after Christmas, you did uh, a Wonder Woman kind of podcast for Yap?
1: And yeah with uh Chris Lloyd and Alec Toomes and uh mm-hmm. Bob Bloom, a couple other guys who who write sometimes mm-hmm. for the Film Yap. Uh we just we yeah, did a little did a little discussion on Wonder Woman because that was kind mm-hmm. of the big release yeah. on Christmas Day. Well, there was, one of the there big was releases. Soul as well and it also was the not most not hon- to be forgotten Promising Young Woman, but yes. the big yes. ones were Wonder Woman and Soul. And yeah, so well, we we sat down to have a little chat about that. So mm-hmm. you can find that on TheFilmYap.com, or on YouTube, yeah. The Film Yeah,
0: we're not we're not even we're not even whoring ourselves out with that. That's just yeah. that's we just, we write for them, and it's just what we've been up. to. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, we both. I mean, we both did the one prior to the Wonder Woman with promising young woman with right. Chris Lloyd, and. Uh, yeah, and if he put that it was... I don't think he put Andy Carr from Odd Trilogies. I think he just put the Odd Trilogies podcast. Yeah. Which hurts me, personally, because <laughs> I wasn't there. But at the same time, I was with family, so it's right, not like right, I right. was. And also, I actually, I haven't watched the video yet. It has been in my watch later, because I've been catching up these last couple sure. days of videos and whatnot. But um, I also, I'm glad I wasn't on that video, because man, the day after Wonder Woman, I still did not know exactly where I stood <laughs> on it, because... Yeah, well, I mean, you liked it more than who? I mean, did you like it more than Alec? Uh, no, Alec probably liked it the most out oh. of any of us. Oh, okay, um, okay,
1: he he was a fan. Um, and well, honestly, I'm glad he oh, was. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, I've I've kind of you know yeah. waffled around on this movie since mm-hmm. seeing it. I mean, when I when I first watched it, um, I got a, a screener a couple days before Christmas and yes. watched it with. Um my girlfriend Emma and um I sorry, I didn't forget her name. I just lost track of what I was saying. Um,
0: Did you clear with her that you had her name on this podcast? No, now um, everyone will know yeah. that it's not me. I am not your girlfriend. <laughs> Here's the plot twist. Yeah. Um
1: and, and we enjoyed it. I mean we we both were kinda like I mean it was dumb and yeah. hokey and messy, but, but like was, we had a good time.
0: But that's the thing too, is like I knew going in to it at least i know with you i was like now andy wasn't the huge fan of the first one yeah i enjoyed the first one i think a bit more than you do but over time i've warmed up to it but not to a point where i think it's great yeah i don't even know if i'd say it's really good it's good enough yeah i would say i
1: would say i i would be quicker to say that i like it than saying it's actually like good yeah good like strong um well, it's even, I I I respect the first film. I admire what it was going for and I think on some of its attempts well, yeah. it's really successful.
0: Well it was a, it was a decent film in a sea of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> certainly it like, by comparison to yeah, its DC I mean, Compatriots it I mean, was we will a very talk, strong showing. Yeah, we'll talk about Man of Steel later this year, but yeah. like it really wasn't working with anything too crazy in terms of what good films to fight in the DCU. Right. So it makes sense that Wonder Woman was the film that like people really gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, Wonder Woman 84 is just... I think it's astounding the amount of hate that's getting thrown its way. Not because it doesn't deserve it, because it is a mess in a lot of places. But I do think that like 84, in, in the places it kind of matters, or at least a few of the places, does improve, at least the first one. I thought the action was better. Yeah. Because I, when I think of the first film, I think of like pseudo Snyder fights because yeah. like they were slowed up. They were ramped up. They were very much like, oh, yeah, Snyder did produce this film. This is supposed to be in the BVS universe. So the, <laughs> the fight sequences have to be dark and like over the top. And then like you see 84 and it's some of the goofiest, silliest ideas. But yeah. at least it's it's fun and creative. Like, the way she uses her lasso in 84, it's like, yeah. like,
1: wow. It's much more creative than yeah. the first film. But I, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag where, like, yes. sometimes they 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 have they throw some really cool ideas out there and it's fun. And it's like, oh, that's what Wonder Woman should be doing. That's cool. Um, but a lot of it, I just felt, was so, like, under, I, I don't know, under-designed or under-directed or I, something. It just yeah. kind of...
0: I it drifted
1: see by, and I like I didn't latch on to really any of the action scenes. So
0: I will say that I think my because my family and I we all watched it together, and we I think we all benefited by the fact that we watched Soul first, yeah. And because like we were all like super high on Soul, and we're like, <laughs> all right, let's just go into Wonder Woman. We got time. Let's just do it. Yeah. And then when I picked on Wonder Woman, and I went, this is two and a half hours long. <laughs> How is this two and a There's half hours? No reason hour. for it to be two yeah. and a half hours. Yeah, which is crazy though, is I forgot the first one is only ten minutes shorter. It's two twenty, yeah. which is like okay. I well, I guess that's a plus on the first film because yeah. I don't think i am ever ever feeling that length. And with eighty four, I don't really feel it either per se. But uh, the did. you did well. Now looking back, I think in rewatches, I will. Yeah, because like I think again the first time watching a film, especially like that film, it's like okay, what exactly is going to tie up all these scenes I've seen in the trailer? Yeah. Because I was like, in the beginning of the film, I was like, I'm just begging to understand how Pedro gets into the White House. And then like when you find out how he did it, it's like, okay. <laughs> well, I guess we now know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took way too long to get there. Yeah, I got but...
1: to about the 90-minute mark, and I was like, okay, let's go into the third act. Mm-hmm. No? No, we're not, we're not going into the third act. Yet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's... It's weird because like there are moments – it's like in the first film. I think there are more moments in this in 84, but it's still got its flaws where it's like there are moments in Wonder Woman 1 and in 84 where it's like Gal Gadot, whether it's she hits the light right or she does the right smirk or the camera hits her just where it needs to or the music hits, it just like goes like I see what they're going for with her. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like – because we we both agree – and I know we're both men discussing a female's performance, and it's not in, its not at all because of any kind of sexist agenda. I just truly believe that as her acting prowess, it's not the greatest. Yeah. I do think it's probably, especially in a film like this, where you're going up against Pedro, putting more into it than he has any right yeah. to. Kristen Wiig, who's playing a character... Named Cheetah by the end of it, and she's putting a little too much into it as well. Chris Pine has no reason to be there, but he also is putting a lot into it. <laughs> yeah, and then there's Gal Gadot. She just who, doesn't
1: have a lot of yeah. I don't know charisma or like kind of range. It I mean, feels yeah, like. she's
0: she's extremely attractive. Handles yeah. scenes very well and is not an awful actress. I just. It just is noticeable when compared to everybody else. I
1: felt in the first, wait, did we get her in Batman v Superman before we got her in Wonder Woman? Yes, we did. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in that first showing from her, my thought was like, okay, she was casted because she looks the part, not Mm -hmm. necessarily because she fits the part from an acting perspective. And I still have yet to really be shaken from that notion. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she's not terrible. She doesn't, like, drag the movie down by any means. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, we're kind of four what, four appearances in yes. for her. No, and, yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And I still don't feel like she's bringing anything to the role that, like, pretty much anybody else couldn't
0: bring. Oh, yeah. I think for and me it is... Was... part of that is
1: the writing, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it, they could reach for a little more depth with her, but... I, yeah. Yeah, I just I, think she's not a great pick for the lead of yeah. franchise like this
0: it also doesn't really help that like usually in a sequel they would push more actually developing the character and with diana as a character she is entirely rooted in the past for the most part yeah not even talking about the opening sequence which is a literal flashback um, Which is almost entirely disconnected no, yeah, from the rest. Of the yeah, film. and it, yes, does it have? Does it does it tie in together to a degree? Sure, it does. But By you, like one it's, line, it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. You could cut that scene. Yeah, and with Diana in the second in '84, it's a lot of just like she just can't let go of the past. Yeah, and that's ninety percent of the film. It's not until like the finale where she's like finally accepting loss and right. trying to move on. It's like cool. But this is two and a half hours long, and it's she's yeah. like kind of down in the dumps. Like I just don't like hanging out with people, and it's like <laughs> it's like I just okay. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, I will I will say that like the first time we see her in Batman v Superman, Snyder's interpretation it seems like almost out of the gate is Wonder Woman is a femme fatale because she's like mysterious right. with Bruce until it, he finds that picture of her in World War One. Right. And then he watched Wonder Woman one, and she's like a fish out of water in mm-hmm. an in an endearing way. You know, a lot of the times, like I still remember in the first film where she sees a baby for the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's super cute, and it's like, oh my god, this is like a genuine decent person. Yeah, it's not like a killer performance, but at the same time, it's a fun character yeah. dynamic. And again, I think it definitely helps that like she is working against one of the worst interpretations of Superman we've ever gotten, which is not Cavill's fault. <laughs> and just speeding to dark and gritty old Batman without any real build up to that. Yeah. So we just have someone in the middle who just is thankfully given at least something to work with that could build yeah. it to something. And I guess it now just got us It was announced a sequel, right?
1: Oh, yeah, they're doing a third one with <sighs> Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't... That neither surprises or concerns me. I mean, oh, no. as much as I was kind of, eh, yeah. about this sequel... Yeah. I uh, you know, I feel like Patty Jenkins is a, is a strong enough director and, mm-hmm. you know, earned enough goodwill with the first film that I don't think the kind of middling, more so the negative backlash to yeah. this movie uh, is really going to, you know, n- would really knock her off the project. I and I don't say, think it should. I mean, I think... No,
0: yeah, she's doing a Star Wars movie in between yeah. Wonder Woman 2 and 3. Yeah. So it's like... I've heard some gripes from people just being like,
1: yeah, throw Patty Jenkins off and get a real director on there. It's like, what?
0: No. Yeah. I mean, 84 was a
1: little bit of a misstep, you know, kind of a mixed bag. But, like, at least you can see where they're, like, just trying for some interesting different things. Yeah, it doesn't always work, and that's okay.
0: Yeah, it's 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 that's just been the DC extended universe so far. Like <laughs> yeah. it is or is it the DCCU Is have they have they tried I, to push There's no whatever? name for it. Yeah, I think yeah, they're like the refusing DC... to put a name on yeah, it. Yeah, the current DC cuz the MCU. They don't right, want to they right. don't want to be a hack. Well, version yeah, of the MCU, And also probably, their their latest
1: of... MO has kind of been like uh putting out movies that we don't really know if they're connected to the others yeah. or not. Like, you know, Birds of Prey was obviously tied into the, you know, yeah. Suicide Squad, but like other than, like, the Joker attachment kind of tried to distance itself as much as it could. Oh, yeah. Um, Then, of course, Joker is seemingly entirely disconnected. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're kind of, you know, playing with... For
0: now. That's another thing, too, is, like... (laughs) Yeah, until um, we get
1: Joker 2 Batman Boogaloo.
0: Yeah, it feels hilarious how it's, like, Birds of Prey had almost, like, that stinger of, like, if you want that sequel, we got the opportunity, but it's, like... Man, I wish I wish this was better. I mean, it's good, it's oh, fine, yeah. Yeah. but like, and then you get like Joker. Joker. Joker makes a billion dollars, yeah. and so it's like, did we say this was a one-off? Maybe we'll do another. Yeah, taxi driver for kids too. It's like, <laughs> oh no, like I don't, yeah. I don't know if I want that. But hey, as long as James, they keep giving James Gunn money to do a polka dot man thing, I am yeah. okay with that. Yeah. Or is it Man Rat? Is that the other? Is that yeah, his brother? Like man Rat. Weasel. There's no, it's Weasel. Weasel. Yeah, Weasel. yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So we're just trying to make it clear that Wonder Woman eighty four is not on this list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, in classic fashion, we said we would be as straightforward as can be, and here we are, nearly fifteen. <laughs> minutes. Yeah,
1: fifteen minutes in, we're here to tell you we are not here to talk about Wonder Woman.
0: No, there hasn't been a trilogy yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we will talk about our top tens, starting with. Number ten, <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you uh, want me to?
1: Sure, I can go first, and I should. I should lead by saying, you know, we we didn't consult each other on our lists or anything. Yeah. We're kind of going into this uh, blind, just in terms of one another's lists. But I mm-hmm. should say that for mine, you know, th- this is just kind of arbitrarily ranked by personal enjoyment. You know, this okay. is something that's subject to mm-hmm. change over time, Absolutely. and I might I might concede that you know one movie that. Is lower on the list or didn't make the list is a better movie overall than the movie mm-hmm. that I picked, but you know this is just kind of a, a uh, vague assessment of how much I personally enjoyed it. So yeah, no, co- nobody take too much offense. Yes.
0: That's the crazy thing too. I mean, I talked to my family about this today. This is also the type of year where, like, usually there are films that bleed into January of the next year that you yeah. couldn't see because of Christmas releases that were bigger, probably, and whatnot. But for for the 2020 year, the Oscars have been pushed back. Films mm-hmm. that would have been released in November are now releasing next year. Yeah. And you were and you were lucky enough with your ties to the Midwest Film Journal, you were able to get well, access. Or, not the Midwest Film Journal. Oh no! The, oh the, yeah, uh, just just screeners in general. Okay, my bad. The uh, yeah. yeah yeah. The but film yeah, the you, app and yeah. the Indiana um, Film Journalists yes, Association. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Sorry about that. No, you're good. But um, with those ties, you were able to get to some films that most people, I mean, including myself, I wasn't able to get. Well, I know One Night Miami doesn't come out for everybody. I mean, it yeah. technically got a limited release, I think, Christmas. Yeah. But it comes out on Amazon Prime, I think, January 15th. Right. And then from that point forward, there's a bunch of, like, the the cutoff for Oscar films now, I think, is late February, mm-hmm. early March. So, yeah. like, we're going to get a lot more Oscar-y films. So this list will probably change. Yeah. But it always, that's how these lists always go. <laughs> yeah, these lists, yeah. I mean, these definitely. I mean, I had a difficulty finding a number ten because I was like, this could change yeah, sure. so much. But yeah, uh, do, you yeah. Have, do you have a count on how many how many new releases you saw this year? Do you know? I them? think I do. Mm, I, it's probably in the. I, I wrote them all down. I just didn't count them one by one. I think it was in the possibly 40s. Okay, maybe okay. I was. Uh, I was kind of shocked by how many I did see that were new because I mean during yeah. the during the lockdown that was a lot of like rewatching films that I love seeing older films I've always wanted to watch and then like there was here and there maybe a new release yeah um, but yeah I mean
1: yeah it's... I think I'm sitting like sixty. Eight or something, mm-hmm. but like yeah, I did not almost, watch almost half of that was in December. Like yeah. once the like screeners started rolling,
0: my up. list is vastly smaller than it was for my 2019 list. But that's yeah. what happens when most of the big stuff and just even even smaller like independent films that I were excited right. for just kind of get pushed back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that is what it is. But even then, I I went through my list. I like every single one of these films. Every single one of these films, I would say. I think number ten is the only film on my list that I would give like a four out of five. Everything above that is like four and a half or higher to me personally. Yeah, let's start with your number ten. Let's get right into it. Okay, my number jump into it
1: right now is a is a was a darling of the Indiana Film Journalists Association awards that were announced uh, last week or two weeks ago, Um, and it is Nomadland. Chloe yes. Zhao's Nomadland, starring Francis. Oh, that's Chloe Francis. Zhao. Yep. Oh, yep.
0: that's what that is. Okay. Yeah,
1: Chloe Zhao's Land starring Francis McDormand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie about a woman who is kind of a. I mean, she's a she's a voluntary nomad. She she lives out of a van uh, somewhere in the American West or Southwest, um, and just you know parks parks her van at uh, rest stops and uh, little. I don't know if I would call them conventions but gatherings of other nomads mm-hmm. um who have taken up this lifestyle and it's just it's very much just kind of a you know a peek into a very different kind of life and it's almost documentarian mm-hmm. style um most of the characters are played by actual nomads really? you know like not actors cool. or you know act- actors with very little experience that's awesome okay. uh, i know francis mcdormand like worked as an amazon worker lived out of her van for a while as kind of research for the role just a very powerful kind of quiet movie mm-hmm. just looking into kind of an alternative american life
0: I did. Okay, so that. Because that film has been recently. I have, like, that. It was because of your guys' uh, awards nominations. Oh, yeah. For Norma- Nomad Lad that I was like. Have I heard that? <laughs> was that one of those films where I just assumed was never coming out this oh, year? Yeah. Or like, because yeah, I do I don't remember think it's now, gotten
1: any sort of like real release. I was
0: wondering because Chloe Zhao, I remember she was doing a film with Francis McDormand. Yeah. I think we've talked about it before, but I had no idea it was that film. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. Okay, so that was number ten. That's interesting too, since I was wondering since that was so high for the um, the Indiana yeah, film. Actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, I assumed maybe it would be higher on your list, but now, all right. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh so but my number ten is not Nomad. <laughs> uh my number ten actually was a complete shock to me to be on my top ten. And the reason why the top ten is like personally difficult to me is like the top ten was like it was basically me going down what my four out of five films and being like, Okay, would this film beat this? Like almost like I had to find a way to like kinda head to head with him. Yeah. It could change over time. I mean I did have Defive Bloods at number ten for a while, but I had to push that up because of other stuff. But my number ten is actually a Netflix original film, and it is "Boys in a in the Band" or "Boys in a Band." Oh yeah, which is let me see, it's "Boys in the Band." Okay, to yeah. get it right first time, which is a Ryan Murphy produced uh, drama based off the groundbreaking gay play, and it stars Jim Parsons, Andrew Rannells, Matt Bomer, a list of fantastic gay actors who. They are all, it's the entire cast from the revival of said groundbreaking play, because the play was written, I believe, in the late 60s and performed in the late 60s, early 70s. So it was modern at the time, and now it's a revival that basically kind of is like a piece, kind of like a slice of life of like a bunch of gay friends who get together for a birthday party. And surprisingly enough, I think it's interesting to talk about this film and why this is in my top 10, because there have been a few examples this year that are like a play adaptation like almost like a black box play kind of adaptation mm-hmm. now turned into a film with like another example that was a uh, ma rainey's black bottom which is an august wilson play yeah and um and there was this boys in the band i think for me hit me in a place that ma rainey's black bottom did where like boys in the band feels like the director actually took the time where it didn't distract because there are moments in ma rainey's black bottom where as much as I love Chadwick Boseman's performance in that film, it's probably his best performance, if not like in his top three. Of them. But like, there are moments in that film where I go, "Oh, this is probably the part." If I was in a, if I was in an actual performance, live performance, this would get me, yeah. a lot more because sometimes characters just turn to a random corner to a wall and go, "Oh, this is the part where they just do a monologue to the audience." <laughs> yeah, and Boys in the Band has moments like that, but they're framed and they're shot, they're composed in a way where it feels like it doesn't distract from the material as much and feels like it just works as a film a lot better. And it isn't directed by Ryan Murphy. It's directed by, I can't remember the name off the top of his head, but he's also an actor, and he was in Hollywood, which is Ryan Murphy's fairly decent Netflix series because, you know, Mm -hmm. Ryan Murphy has 37 different projects at once, (laughs) it seems. But uh, he does a fantastic job directing The cast is incredible. Jim Parsons, it's just so astounding that, like, after Jim Parsons has come out, when he does a role that's not uh, Shelton Cooper, (laughs) it's just very interesting to watch his characters. And it's just a really, just a really good movie that I was like, I had heard about it. I was curious. I sat down in my room and I watched it and I was just entranced for two hours. And I was like, damn, I, I would recommend it, especially if you're like looking for. Just like a good, especially a good film with representation. Because it feels mm-hmm. like it's a film that does gay representation in a way that isn't saying that this is how all, you know, the LGBTQ community is. But it feels human and fragile and flawed in a way that yeah. feels genuine. And so, yeah, starting off strong. You know, got Nomad Land and Boys in the Band. So, number nine, do you want me to go? Or? Uh, I can start. Yeah. Although,
1: I shouldn't say, maybe, maybe we... We might need to start uh, speeding up a little bit because we got 20 movies to. Oh, that's right. We we, we can. We can. We can. Okay. My my number nine is uh, is the Invisible Man. Uh, Oh wow, Elizabeth Moss. That was uh, close on my list early Mm. earlier this year. Uh, Yeah, I just I mean it was one of those that kind of early in the year felt like you know one of the strongest movies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because the beginning of the year is usually just kind of slow course this year we didn't realize that the beginning of the year would be the only time of the year where (laughs) theatrical releases were happening um and so that was one that like initially hit me you know was right up at the top of my list and then i kind of forgot about it as the year went on and a bunch Mm -hmm. of other movies came out um and i will say you know of, of this list it might actually be uh the weakest film on my top 10 but I just really enjoyed the kind of alternative take on a very classic um, you know universal monster story yeah and kind of twisting it into this you know weird very potent and contemporary story Mm -hmm. about abuse and uh, that sort of thing and I I, Elizabeth Moss is killer as she always is I thought the score was incredible it was one of the few scores this year where I was really just hooked by the score itself Mm mm-hmm um, in every moment, so yeah, that's my number nine.
0: Nice, and we—I mean, we will not spoil it right here, but like we have talked about, there is a way we could do it on a trilogy with that film. Oh yeah. and In all honesty, I did not know you loved it that much, and now I'm more interested to like because <laughs> yeah, the Invisible Man is just like—it's just shocking from the first ten to fifteen minutes. It's like it's doing so much work without really doing yeah. anything like that showing so much like it's not it's like it's almost like they're running a marathon without showing their sweating at times and <laughs> yeah. it's kind of shocking how they do that so well and I think it's definitely the director Lee Wannell mm-hmm. who uh, his film before that was upgrade which is isn't as that's good a, but it's good movie, very yeah. fun so yeah let's get right into my number nine my number nine is a film that I we saw together you oh, okay. actually showed it to me and it was something that I had heard about per se. But I was like, I don't necessarily know if this is going to grab me or not. <laughs> but this is a documentary that is what every documentary I think should do. Is The goal is even if you have zero interest in the topic, it grabs you in some way. My number nine is You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Hell yeah. <laughs> and that film is just, it is just so astounding how that film from the get-go, you think it's like maybe this is kind of a, a silly movie, Maybe they'll just, like, talk about how silly it was that that happened and, like, he's trying to get back into the swing of things. And they do do that, but there is so much heart. Oh, yeah. And what's so crazy about the documentary, and whether it was intentional or not, I feel like at this point, especially if you're doing a sports documentary that is kind of, like, as narrative-driven as this one is, it feels very much like a documentary version of, like, a Rocky Underdog story. Oh, yeah. It is structured in that way. And it feels like it works in that benefit to have that kind of, like, classic kind of setup and, like, punchline to a lot of the way that, like, when it gets to the end, it just hits in a way that, like, yeah. you just didn't expect a film about David Arquette to hit. <laughs> and just how, like, it has that vibe of, like, man, I just want to see David Arquette more stuff, and I want to see, oh, yeah. and I want to watch this again. Yeah, like, and
1: made like, me miss him.
0: Kind yeah, of. <laughs> which is weird, because I'm it's one like, where, of Yeah, it's like, it's like, he's... He's Dewey from Screen. That's pretty yeah. much all he is in my head. Right. But like, it's you just want him to just prosper in what yeah. he wants to do. From you that point, you want to protect forward. him. You want yeah. him to.
1: It's he's just yeah. David Arquette is maybe the, at least for my money, the best like triumphant heroic underdog story of the year. Yeah, like, I think on it's, film.
0: it's good. I mean, it's it's definitely the most uh, left field. Yeah. In terms of like, I cannot believe this is doing what it's doing and working so well at it. In the fact that like again, it's a it's a documentary about wrestling. I know very little about it, but I know how like there are super wrestling heads that like know so much, it's astounding the, the storylines and it's it's just great to watch Arquette and then not only just watch Arquette, watch Arquette go through like the lower l- rungs of the ladder when it comes to wrestling. Yeah. So you cannot kill David Arquette, it's my number nine. And I'm so glad you reminded me <laughs> that I seen this film. That's like one of the <laughs> only ones that I didn't have on my letterbox and I do not know why. But, oh, yeah. but, yeah, that's my number nine. So, what's your number eight, Andy? My number eight is uh, maybe the most, or the first
1: kind of mm, mature kind of film of the Me Too era. It's called The Assistant.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it's, oh, that's uh, right. Yes, yes, yes. It's yeah, another it's one. A, it's a kinda... movie
1: about a woman who works as kind of a an assistant or secretary receptionist, you know, kind of a clerical position in a, uh, um, in an executive office of like a film studio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obvious parallels to the Harvey Weinstein situation. Um, and her boss is kind of the analog for Harvey Weinstein. You don't really ever see him in the film. He's mm-hmm. kind of an invisible force throughout the movie, the invisible man, if you will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's basically she kind of becomes aware of what's going on in the mm-hmm. office and his, you know, misbehavior with women and kind of, you know, the the nefarious things he's doing to, quote unquote, give young girls a chance in the mm-hmm. industry. Uh, it's directed by Kitty Green, stars Julia Garner. Just a really kind of, in, similarly to Nomadland, a very quiet movie, but like really loud in the mm-hmm. message it's getting across and it... It doesn't have to show you much to really get the point across. Uh, Just a really confident, strong, quiet film.
0: Yeah, that was a film that just kind of like, it came out. It came out uh, early in the year. Yeah, it came out, honestly, there's a film in my top five worst films of the year that came out the same weekend as that one. (laughs) And it had, I think hilariously, The Assistant had good critical reviews but awful audience scores because people didn't feel yeah, like I don't be, I don't get this. People aren't ready. But for the <laughs> other the, the other film that came out that weekend was like critics hated it, but unfortunately people enjoyed it a lot more than the assistants. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, so I was I again, it's so weird. Like those films are just like, it's on Hulu now. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well I gotta watch it at some point. Yeah. But I'm glad that was that good. I'll have to definitely check that one out yeah, too. I
1: highly recommend it if you're if you're kind of itching for You know, a movie that really speaks to the feeling that so many people have been having about the issue. You know, I think it's a really potent, potent piece on it. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's your number eight. My number eight is actually the most recent film I've seen on this list. And it is First Cow, which is probably, I guess at this point this year, one of A24s, like the darling film of A24 this year. Yeah, it's Um, kind of Because it's like, yeah, because it came out late in the summer. And it was like this, you see the trailer and it seems like when you think of A24, it is not at all what you think an A24 film at this point would be. And it's got a strong directing, incredible composition. Just like, it's insane how like this film, this film takes place in the 1820s for the majority of the film. Yeah. And it's the cleanest and prettiest I've ever seen that era. (laughs) Because I think of like, I think I talked to my dad about it where it was like, when I think of this era, I think of The Revenant. And oh, I think sure. how dirty and gross yeah. like it's supposed to, like, grab the pelts and all this, like... <laughs> this how, like, nasty and kind of, like, it's supposed to look somewhat kind of, like, crazy and insane mm. and, like, almost lawless. And then you watch First Cow, and this era is, has that feeling of, like, it's still untapped territory, but that's why people are coming to this. Yeah. They love it. And what's so... Endearing about the film, what's so captivating about the film are the two main performances. Mm-hmm. The film is mainly just about a friendship about two guys who are all alone and want something. They want something specific, and they think they yeah. can work together to they get. They kind of go
1: into business together, mm-hmm. and yeah. the
0: best the best way to describe the film is actually the opening proverb where it's like bird needs a nest, a spider needs a web, mankind friendship, <laughs> and like this film is just about these two guys. Who just accidentally run into each other and you see their growing relationship. Yeah. And it just it's as plain as day. It's a straightforward film. Has a really solid cast. Mm-hmm. But the two leads just do an incredible job. The film looks great. It's well directed. And it's totally understandable why like A twenty four was pushing this film yeah. so much. And why there are some outlets who have given this the best film of the year, and I understand that. I would highly recommend it. It's definitely slow. It was slower than yeah. I anticipated, but yeah. it's like It's like a very, it's like a lazy river. I I think it's it's fun like
1: that. More than any other movie I saw this year, that was one that I kind of wish I had had the theater experience before to just dial me in and Mm -hmm. focus me up because, like, I I really enjoyed it, and this is totally on me, and I get that, but like, I was you know getting distracted, looking at other things around my living room, looking at my phone. but, yeah, I really loved oh, yeah. their little their buddy relationship. And also, you know, maybe more than any other movie this year, it really made me want to, like, eat a food from the movie. Yes, I Those agree. oily cakes or whatever they were so called. So was,
0: it was one of those things that, like, <laughs> when I started the film, I got about 30 minutes in and then I, my family started making dinner and we started eating dinner together. And then once we did that, we all went back and we caught up right next. And as soon as we did that, that's when the – cooking stuff starts to happen and when i was like man i'm glad we ate before this because this film not only does this film handle food in such a delicious way this is like 1820s food so this really shouldn't look as good as it is yeah but not only does it look good they use the food as a connective tissue for all these people that don't really have much in common besides they're just in the same territory but when Mm -hmm. they start eating this food i think practically everyone who eats it has, like, a homey vibe from it, almost a nostalgia that they get from it, even though they've probably never had this food before. Yeah. And it's – I would just recommend First Cow. I I was able to buy it on sale – uh, on video on demand, and like I do not regret buying that film. <laughs> Definitely excited to watch it again, and obviously somewhat related to First Cow, but I'm just a slut of doing four by three aspect ratio, right? Oh, sure. And yeah. First Cow does it yeah. incredibly well. <laughs> um, but instead of that, let's go right into number seven. Number I seven. do you want me to go first, or do you want to go next? Go for it if you got one. Uh, my number seven is an Apple TV Plus original. You know, in <laughs> case you don't have Apple TV Plus, which if you don't, I don't know what to tell you, but that's fine. Like, there's, case, there's not in, a lot.
1: Yeah. And in case there. you up to this point didn't believe that Apple TV Plus had any good originals, yeah. and you'd oh, be reasonable for
0: thinking that they do, they do. <laughs> but you'd be um, reasonable for thinking that. And two of them are on my list, but this yeah. first one is an Irish animated film called Wolf Walkers, yeah. and it's based off. Well, it's not based. It's based off an of old Irish folklore in terms of like the idea of a wolf walker. But it's based out of uh, an Ireland animation or an animation studio in Ireland, who did *Secret of the Kills*, *Song of the Sea*, *The Breadwinner* have basically been Oscar-nominated since their first film, but always lose to Disney films. Yeah, which that's just unfortunately the the name of the game at this point for best yeah. animated film if Disney has anything. But *Wolfwalkers* to me is just astounding and an animated sense in terms of just the designs in terms of how everything is handled. It's so unique and how like there are moments in this film where it's like you see like the, the rough sketch of like the anatomy of like animals where like you can see kind of like the, the body, the body lines and it works. Mm -hmm. There's so much greatness to the film and it feels like at a point where you feel like, Oh, this is probably where it's going to kind of get straightforward or standard It just, as soon as like the first 30 minutes happen, it just keeps getting better and better. And I got to a point where I was just like, I'm just now mad that I've never seen Seeker of the Kills or any of their previous work because Wolf Walker is just just incredible. It's just like beautiful to look at and an incredible Sean Bean performance that's entirely voice. Like (laughs) he does a good job and it's not what you consider, like, I wouldn't say it's like a usual Sean Bean performance to a degree. But it is Sean Bean's voice, so yeah. you can you can already hear in your head what he sounds like. But, like, the cast is good, animation's gorgeous, the score rocks it out of the park. And just overall, by the time the film ended, I was like, man, I don't know exactly what it's going to go up against. But regardless, <laughs> I want it to get nominated. So that's yeah, my number seven.
1: Yeah. Definitely deserves some attention. For sure, yes. My number seven is uh, one that's already been taught. We've already talked about it. Tonight and it is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom.
0: Ah, I was wondering if you liked it. uh, I did. I I was curious. I was curious. Yeah.
1: Yeah. George C. Wolfe directed Mm -hmm. it. It's based on a play by August Wilson. Is that is that right?
0: Yeah. August Wilson. Yeah. It's the
1: same man behind Fences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, for me, this was kind of uh, you know this this year's swing at something like Fences, and I think it hit a lot better than Fences did Mm -hmm. the the Denzel Washington Mm -hmm. movie adaptation from what a few years ago yeah that one kind of was good but kind of fell short for me felt a little too uh fixated on denzel's performance and not on like being a good story Mm -hmm. Um, but this one i felt like had you know a lot of moving parts but a very simple premise and a great ensemble cast it's got viola davis chadwick boseman and like you said one of his best performances ever um And it's basically, you know, a a band comes to play at this studio to record with uh, uh, Ma Rainey, a very popular Mm -hmm. black singer in the 20s. Um, And it's kind of, it it made me, I was like, after I watched it, I was like, I refuse to believe that any, like, major label recording session is any less dramatic than this. (laughs) (laughs) It's more fun to believe that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because it, I mean for as fun and kind of goofy and cozy as this movie is it's a very cozy warm movie it goes to some really dark places yeah. really quick and then comes right back out of them and then goes right back into mm-hmm. them and it's you know it's not tonal whiplash but it's a huge range of of uh kind of tone and emotion and i just thought it was just a lot of fun and really powerful
0: yeah i do agree that like the strongest aspect at least to me Is just the entire ensemble. Yeah. Like, I was just shocked by, like, again, this movie has, as soon as you see who the two leads are, you just already have the vibe of, like, this is their Oscar kind of, like, Mm -hmm. not saying necessarily bait, but, like, this is, like, their Oscar audition. Yeah, yeah, this is what they're pushing. Please give me an Oscar. And I feel like if it was any other year, it would have the chance, but maybe would fall short. However,. The fact that the ensemble is so great, the fact that the story is as powerful as it gets, and the fact that this is, as far as we know, Bozeman's last performance, it makes a lot of his scenes even more captivating. Yeah, I mean, there is that. There is one scene where he talks about God turning his back on him, and f- for some reason, for me personally, that monologue now, just thinking about you know post mortem, uh, yeah. it just hits harder. And it also, it's just kind of crazy that, like, you have a strong ensemble, but as soon as Chadwick says anything, he just commands the room. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like he's trying to command the room because he wants attention. He just feels like he understands this character so well yeah, that, like, it's hard not to be interested. And, yeah, the film is easy to watch. It, I mean, the, the period aspect of it looks great. If there's one thing that, like, you can never do in a stage play that you could do in a film is just, like, cutaways to other parts of the city and, like, yeah. do outside the studio and whatnot, and that was super good. Yeah. And, I, and I understand why it's on your list, and I definitely would recommend it as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think in terms of, like, you know, turning a play into a movie and making it feel like, okay, you know, this was a worthwhile mm-hmm. adaptation, this one really, for the most part, hits it out of the park and makes me, you know, I, I think kind of ups the bar for a lot of these kinds of movies, especially, like, Offenses, um, and I would say it's the best play turned movie of the year if not for another one that's going to be later on my list
0: okay okay (laughs) i understand all right let's just go right on with your list what's number six number six is a documentary called boys state
1: (sighs) and this was this is another (laughs) apple tv it is it is so they're really coming out swinging this year boys state is about boys state which is a Um, an event hosted annually in various states around the country. Lots of states do their own boys' state. Indiana has their own boys' state. This movie is about the Texas boys' state. Uh, Basically, the American Legion puts together this event to... uh, They they basically uh, wrangle 1,200 boys um, in a series of buildings in the capital and basically force them to simulate government. They mm-hmm. break in, they're, they're kind of randomly assorted into two parties, uh, you know, which, and, and then they basically, within those parties, they have to form their, their policies and their stances on certain issues. They have to elect leaders of their party, chairman, um, nominees for government or for governor and that sort of thing. And then at the, at the end of it all, there's the, the governor's election. And so, you know, two boys or however many boys end up going up against each other. And it's just, it's one of those fascinating documentaries where it's like, okay, uh, I can't believe they, you know, picked these from from the beginning of the event before anybody really had a chance to shine. They, they picked out these boys that would be phenomenal characters to put against mm-hmm. this story and have these arcs that would play out in <laughs> Hugely dramatic political fashion. Uh, I mean, you've, you've got all sorts of archetypes. You've got the, there's this really flamboyant kid, Renee, who basically sneaks his way into becoming his party's uh, uh, chairman. And uh, yeah. he's super liberal and stuff, but he like mm-hmm. basically just squeezes <clears throat> in by saying really vague things that will get all the conservative white Texan boys on his side. Yeah, so yeah, they'll yeah. Elect him, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of subterfuge, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know just a really fun but also kind of in a little in some ways terrifying and saddening microcosm of you know the current American political landscape. Yeah, but it's ultimately very <clears throat> uplifting, and I really
0: appreciated that. I will talk more about Boy State later in this episode, (laughs) obviously because it's also later on in the list, but, like, Boy State to me is the perfect example of, if you watch that trailer, which the trailer is phenomenal, Yeah. if you watch that trailer, I'm telling you now, the film itself, that trailer is just an inkling of just how astounding, how, there are so many lines in that film (laughs) where I will never forget it, and I will never forget that a 17-year-old boy said it, and it's insane that he understands that political idea or that political philosophy yeah. almost better than yeah. you think anyone at that age should. Yeah. But um, they've got yes. basically
1: a little mini Ben Shapiro in there. They've got a <laughs> mini kind of you know.
0: Yeah. Um, and and all the characters they pick have such a purpose that is just so astoundingly interesting in their own way. Yeah. Like it's not like you have. You know, want to be governor number two, want to be governor number three. Yeah. You have five vastly different people who are interesting in their own way. And in all honesty, like one of them has practically a hero's journey oh, that yeah. you cannot help but like. Like showing this to my family, it was wonderful just seeing like knowing the stuff that was going to happen because this is the only film in my top ten that I actually watched a second time oh, just okay. because. It's not because I don't want to watch the other films a second time. It's yeah, just like time. time restraints. Yeah. <laughs> but then I told my family about this film, and they're like, honestly, I just kind of want to watch that right now. Yeah. I'm just... And then we watched it, and it is just as good the second time. It's actually more powerful in places the second sure. time through. And, again, it is just astounding that Apple TV Plus has very little right now in terms of original content that's incredible. But what they have that's incredible is worth it. Like a subscription for a bit because like sure, yeah. Boy, State is not only a phenomenal documentary; it's yet another phenomenal film pre- d- distributed by A twenty four. Yeah, and again, recommend that as well. And I'm so glad it's on your list that high up. <laughs> and uh, my number six is uh, one that I know is not on your top ten because we've no. had a conversation about this one before. But my number six is also a Netflix original film, and it is Mank. It's David Fincher's latest film. And it is the most niche and probably his most emotional film to a degree, because not it's not only I don't even think that just because like his late father wrote the script. I just feel like there's so there's a lot of optimism in this film and a lot of cynicism that isn't like it doesn't feel like cynicism for the sake of being cynical. cynical. Yeah. It feels very much like this is probably the best interpretation of like a nostalgic look back at Hollywood I've seen. In a bit, like I mean, mm. once upon a time in Hollywood, did it a year a year back, yeah. but even then, that felt like at times Tarantino was like, "I'm going to stop the film just so I can do what I've always wanted to do, <laughs> and give Sharon Tate her own thing." And it's oh, like yeah. that's fine, but though you watch Make and Make feels like there's love and effort poured into every set recreation, every bit that Atticus Ross and Tret Reznor do in the score, and yet the film just is so engaging to me. And it definitely is because I love Citizen Kane. The film is about the screenwriter, Herman Mankiewicz, who will ultimately run one of the greatest films of all time, Citizen Kane. And the cast is great. The uh, The whole just like framing device, the way it's shot, the editing style, it's all meant to just be a love letter to Citizen Kane. And it's so weird to see Fincher almost geek out in a way that's so yeah. noticeable and it's understandable why so many people are kind of like iffy about it. I completely understand that, but I think to me, I it just after like the first thirty minutes where I was kind of like I'm really enjoying this, but I'm still kind of feeling out if this is going <laughs> to get better. Yeah, it grabbed me, and I just was like, "Wow!" Is is not probably my favorite Fincher film ever, but like it's probably one of my favorite Oldman performances because he's not in a fat suit and he could just you know. Use his acting abilities, <laughs> not yeah, having yeah, to yeah. worry about anything else. Amanda Seyfried is really good; oh, yeah. like she just like kills it as well, and is completely different than what I thought her character was supposed to be. And just overall, make is definitely a niche niche topic. But if you are into that niche topic. You're doing yeah. your disservice not giving it a try. Yeah, it
1: might be Fincher's least accessible movie, but it I is. think I think yeah. if you can if you have interest in not even Citizen Kane but kind of that era of Hollywood mm-hmm. or film history, you know, if or if you can latch on to Mank or any of the supporting characters, I I think it is a pretty rewarding ride even if it is kind of one of those like you know, it's yeah. not super bombastic or anything yeah. like that, but I think the, the passion is there and it's really <laughs> infectious.
0: And I will say, I watched it without rewatching Citizen Kane recently prior to viewing, but watching Make, I knew, I knew if I had watched Citizen Kane prior to it, <laughs> there would have been even more stuff I would have caught in yeah. terms of like how they frame certain things and how certain musical cues are there. And overall, if you're just looking for David Fincher just being... If you've ever wondered what David Fincher being a nerd is, then watch Make. Because yeah. it very much has that vibe of like, yeah. oh, I get it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, is, do you want, can I do my number five? Because this will be very quick. Oh, okay. Yeah, we uh, can do number five. Yeah, because my number five is Boy State. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's why when I heard your voice, I was like, oh, cool. That's, yeah. That's so. But yeah. Any, everything any is so, follow-up comments on Boy State? It is just... It's just incredible, it's wild because you 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 just assume like it's it's a group of mainly conservative boys. <laughs> but there's so much dimension to every kid that's given a chance to talk yeah. on screen and it is astounding how like whether it was they found a way to kind of cheat it in the editing or not, finding the right times to catch the right character at the right moment to the point where like it is again a documentary that just feels like. This has to be narrative, right? This feels a way too oh, yeah. well put together, yeah. but it
1: isn't. It just and so streamlined. And oh my god. Perfectly yeah. dramatic and triumphant uh, and
0: scary and sad and yeah. all of it at once. And it's just if you're looking for a killer documentary, yeah. especially if you love politics, you can't go wrong with Boy State.
1: Honestly, this year has been really great for documentaries. Yeah. And oh, I'll, agreed. I'll bolster that claim with my number 5. Go right ahead. Another documentary, it's called Dick Johnson is Dead. Um, it's a it was a Netflix release, uh, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. Netflix. That sounds um, familiar. Okay. Yeah, basically, it's uh, it was directed by Kirsten Johnson, who is a, who is a you know filmmaker by trade, and her father, Dick Johnson, um, was diagnosed. I don't know if it was Alzheimer's or just a more general form of dementia. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, was told his you know his mental capacity is going to. Quickly degrade, um, and so instead of kind of just like you know wallowing in that sadness or or accepting defeat or whatever, uh, Kirsten and her father decided, hey, let's make a movie about your death, but not like a oh here let's chronicle the sad journey of mm-hmm. you know mental degradation, mental deterioration. But yeah. instead, let's kind of not only celebrate your life, but like have fun with the concept of how you'll go out. And mm-hmm. so there's a bunch of it is a documentary following their journey but it's also intercut with little kind of staged deaths like dick getting hit with a you know falling air conditioner like <laughs> out of somebody's window and it crushes him and he dies or like getting hit in the face right. with a wood plank with a nail on it and he bleeds to death and stuff it's like <laughs> super morbid i love but that super uplifting okay. and like yeah. it, it even kind of culminates in a in a uh a staged funeral Like all, they invite Mm -hmm. all of his family and Mm -hmm. friends to kind of, here's what your funeral will look like. And then at the end, you know, they all kind of celebrate him and that sort of thing. And so it's it's taking a very uplifting look at a very, a topic that I think our culture still has a very kind of unhealthy um, attitude towards of death Mm -hmm. and grief and moving on and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I think we just have a really weird death culture in America, and I think it's you know it's promoting the idea of being more open and celebratory in the face of death, and I think it's it's just awesome.
0: That sounds extremely cathartic yeah. too. Yeah. So like that's just really cool. And I didn't know about that one. That's a nice left field to know about. I'll <laughs> add it to the list. but nice. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get into our uh, top four. Do you wanna do? We want to do a little bit of a speed round of our worst films. Of yeah, this year, right? yeah. We'll
1: do. We'll do a little negativity fest. Um, oh, this will be easy.
0: Yeah. This will be <laughs> uh,
1: very easy. Do you just want to rattle off a few of yours, and then I'll rattle off a few of mine, and then we'll get back?
0: I'll just go through all five. I'll <laughs> just like uh, My worst of 2020 is number five. Is a film I forgot I completely saw entirely. Until I just had a weird moment last year, or last week, where I went, oh, that's right. Number five is Doolittle. I forgot Doolittle came out in January. Oh, wow. I forgot Robert Downey Jr. put his hand up a dragon's ass and pulled out a bagpipe. Yeah. And the fact that Jesse Buckley, who is in Chernobyl and, like, all these different films, <laughs> is, is in really that bad, film, yeah. too. And Doolittle is awful. Yeah. Uh, number four Number four is Scoob. Okay. Because uh, Scoob is... <sighs> I didn't see there, Scoob. There are worse films, I think, maybe, but Scoob. But it's watching Scoob is almost like watching someone burn potential, yeah, like tr- truly raw potential there, where it's like you want to make a Hanna Barbera cinematic universe mm-hmm. with Scooby Doo, which is like one of the most beloved cartoon characters, definitely in American culture, and they do it in just the most pathetic, pandery way <laughs> that, like, by the end of the film, you're just like, God, I just. I think the live-action Scooby-Doo films handle Scooby-Doo better than this. (laughs) This is astoundingly bad. Yeah. Where it's like, I think there's one line where it's like, hurry, we have to save Scooby before they take him to the gates of hell. Like, it's like stuff like that where you think it would be funny, but at the point in that film you're just like, please end. Yeah. Uh, Number three, let me get my list because I'm trying to do this off the cuff. Uh, There we go. The Wrong Missy. If you've ever wanted to see a happy Madison film where the <laughs> love interest sexually assaults David Spade and then you're supposed to believe that they fall in love by the yeah, end of yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And also it's it's it sucks too cuz the the love interest is played by Lauren Lapkus, who's genuinely funny. Mm. And it it sucks to watch her in this film where she's just like the most obnoxious happy <laughs> Madison character and it's like, you know, David Spade's just there doing David Spade. Yeah. It's Happy Madison Films. I wasn't expecting the world from it, but I was just astounded by the things it did and acting like it wasn't anything <laughs> crazy. Number two is Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, you um, ain't gonna agree there. Absolutely. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy is, I don't know, tone-deaf, toxic, Oscar bait, to the absolute horrible degree. It's astounding that three incredible creators in the film industry, Ron Howard, Glenn Close, and Amy Adams, are in a dog shit film that feels like There is so much that that book has to offer, yet the film has nothing to offer of any kind of substance. And it felt like it was truly the most infuriating film I saw this year. But it's not number one, because number one is truly the worst film I've seen this year. And it's also the most mind-numbing. It's Artemis Fowl. Oh. Artemis yeah. Fowl is I, again, this was a film where I went oh, that's right, I did see this <laughs> and while Hillbilly Elegy lights a fire in my ass, Artemis Fowl makes me want to become a statue and not live again, because there's just so, again missed potential, there's nothing there of any substance Yeah, I looked at it, I think I gave it a one star and I went, why in God's name did I give that a one star <laughs> that's too generous, but yeah, there's my top five worst. So let's see what you've got. I think I know one of, I think at least know two of them. <laughs> well, I,
1: th- I think I was pretty good to myself this year. I didn't, nor- normally I don't... Treat yourself. Less <laughs> shitty movies. No- yeah. Normally I'm like, oh, well I gotta see this because it's the big movie of the week and people are gonna be talking about it and even if it's bad, I gotta have an opinion. I gotta mm-hmm. be relevant or whatever. Um, this year there were, you know, the Artemis Fowls and the Scoobs. I, you know... You and my other friends watched it, and everybody said it was bad. And I was like, "I'll take your word for yeah, it."
0: Yeah, it. it was. Those were those were both films where both Adam and I just went, "Well, so yeah. what else are we gonna find out if this is really as bad as they say?" So,
1: I, yeah, I don't have very many that I vehemently hate, but there's a few. Um,
0: <laughs> I'll start. Yeah,
1: um, I'll just you know, "Hillbilly Elegy," just bouncing off of what you said. You know, totally tone deaf, and I think I think it's kind of.
0: It's an it's, it's an it's it's a, a, feature, it's a bad Terminator. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah it's He'll, a bad
1: Terminator. Ron Howard, you're a bad Terminator now. Yeah, there's no neutral um. Terminators
0: in life and in Hillbilly LG. Yeah, Everyone, it's,
1: it's just a it's a feature length Oscar bait rendition of like a really cheap and underthought, like inspirational poster it's just pick yourself up by your bootstraps the movie yeah um and there's it's just total lack of empathy for people living in poverty living with addiction living in abusive relationships mm-hmm. it's just you know at the end of the day you pick yourself up and you will be successful and you'll start a venture capital fund um mm-hmm. and become a rich yuppie and get to leave your you know, poor family behind.
0: Except uh, you don't, because in the <laughs> book, there's probably so much more nuance. Oh, and I'm three talking dimension. about the movie. No, but that's the thing, too, is, like, because to me, when I watch... Hillbilly Elegy, to me, is the prime example of the idea that family with, like, just because you have blood, like, similar bloodlines that, like, you have to look out for your family regardless of the horrible things they do to you. Yeah. I was like, that is the most toxic and horrible message you could get from any of this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's it's like, there's even a line where, like, one character says, like, yeah, I know Mom beat us, like, paraphrasing, but, like, she got beat harder. And it's like, excuse me, that doesn't excuse anything. It's also just kind of
1: caricaturizing or oversimplifying a lot of the issues by making, you know, the crazy drug addict mother like the most irredeemable human being she could yeah, be yeah it's and probably like, the only
0: okay, any cool. amy adams performance where i just entirely yeah. hated her i hated everything yeah. about her had no sympathy she's played some horrible character, like horrible people like she's yeah. had to play that or like people who are messed up but truly hillbilly elegy amy adams's character is just the worst yeah.
1: But I'll throw out a couple more uh, worst of the year, and I'll try and be quick on these. But uh, f- it was funny. I haven't seen The Boys in the Band, but collectively it's funny because Ryan Murphy is ending up on both ends of our collective spectrum for the year. Because oh, I didn't
0: know this was on your worst. Oh, Ryan God.
1: Murphy's The Prom, a Netflix <laughs> musical that just hit maybe a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, I December think. 18th. And, uh, poof, no, 11th. Boy, boy yeah. is this thing a mess. I mean... Like I'm, I'm not that big into musicals to begin with. but yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, there are, there have been exceptions to the rule. There are a few musicals I really love. This one ain't it. Uh, I can say the only really good thing I can say about it is the line, "Note to self, don't be gay in Indiana." Um, yeah, that's about the best thing this movie has going honestly, for it. The acting is awful. The lyrics are terrible and cheap and don't work. The kind of landing of various lines or ends of scenes is just totally stiff and awkward. James Corden is awful, as usual. Um, (laughs) You've got a ton of talent in this movie. Meryl Streep. You do, you do. um, Keegan-Michael Key, but nobody's really working at their best, um, and I think the two leads have no chemistry, and they really need to have chemistry, and they don't.
0: No, that's fair. I think, in my opinion, I liked it more than you. I know for a fact. Now, I had not actually heard all of your opinions on the film, but I do think it is the prime example of the music. Honestly, I enjoy the musical a lot. I don't. I would never call the musical one of my favorite musicals, because um, there is there are some lines that like in the film in the musical where it's like, okay, well, like it's not as good as this song, but like you know, I'll I'll go mm-hmm. with it. And the production quality of the songs are better in the film. I like the cast, but again, yeah, <laughs> I just thought it was vapid. Well, the thing it was just well, the thing dumb. that the thing that gets me, I think is the craziest thing about the prom is the prom seems to for some reason, after decades of having great movie musicals, doesn't seem to know how to shoot musical numbers, which yeah. is the most astounding thing, where it's like there are moments where like people are dancing, but they are shot from like the knees up and I'm like, I want to see their feet. Yeah. I want to see everyone dance. Or, like, they cut from someone singing. And there are two songs that just abruptly end. There's oh, no yeah. reason for it. They actually, they they recorded all the songs in, its, in, in their entirety. But for some reason, there are two songs in particular where they just hard stop. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes no sense. But I love the fact that this is on your worst, because I was curious about that. <laughs> um,
1: my, I'll, I'll put two more out here. The Lodge, which was a, a horror thriller film from way early in the year. Um, one of those that, it's a, it's a real slow burn with a big twist, and it really burns the bridge with that twist. Um, won't spoil it for you in case you dare to watch it. Uh, but this is yeah. this is why I almost hate to put on my list of the worst because I think the filmmakers I can't remember their names but the the directors and writers show a lot of promise show a lot of skill behind oh, yeah. the camera a lot of um, you know kind of vision but the story is just a waste of time. Yeah, ultimately, Re-
0: Riley end. Keough is probably the only performance that is worth it in that film, yeah. and even then. It is it is the equivalent of watching a match burn in your hand thinking it's going to explode at the end. But then it just burns out. Yeah, and it just fizzles out. Yeah, there's nothing to it. And it yeah. does suck because there's a lot of potential. Kind of in... kind
1: of like a much worse version of the Blackcoat's daughter.
0: Yes. Just, honestly <laughs> the best way to put it. Yeah. Because like... Black Coat's daughter rocks and it's yeah. the best way to do slow burn horror in the lodge is just nope. boring. Over- um
1: on. and then my number one is Mulan.
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna put Sonic somewhere on here. <laughs> no, uh, Sonic,
1: Sonic's down there. But like, if we were to do an honorable mention of worst uh-huh. of the year, Sonic would be there. But uh, I actually had a little bit of fun with Sonic, so I'm I'm gonna spare. I was gonna, it for I was now. gonna
0: be curious because I, I know you were in that camp of like you understood why some people. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was to a degree, but like, sure, But yeah. you were at, you were at a point where like you almost became like the dissenter, where it's like, listen, just <laughs> oh, yeah. because it's fun doesn't mean it's actually anything worthwhile and i get that idea but
1: but anyway the real number one for me or number whatever number zero uh mulan uh just a just a totally empty movie for me i think i didn't see the lion king remake until way later so Mm -hmm. the the impact of that movie's failure didn't quite hit me the same way a lot of people did although i admit Mm -hmm. it's a terrible film oh it's Um, a waste of time i love watching
0: money just be burned in front of me
1: (laughs) and i think for me mulan is my 2019 lion king um Mm -hmm. just a total erasure of anything fun or charismatic or dramatic or emotional about the original uh just distilled down to its mechanical parts barely even that Mm -hmm. because it's hardly a competent movie uh the lead has no charisma the story is incoherent. The supporting characters have no dimension. The action is stupid. Um, the only good thing I can say about it is really the production design. Uh, I think the makeup and the costume, like or the costuming and the set design, are pretty cool. Uh, but they're totally wasted on an utterly like gray story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those like I'm extra offended by it because of. The source material, where it comes from, and also the amount of money put into it, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that they charge thirty dollars for it on Disney Plus,
0: and that's another thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what I was. Gonna, I guess I'm gonna ask, like, because now I'm I'm far enough away from Lion King 2019 that like I could I could get back into that like reservoir in my brain where I can just be pissed right. that that happened. Right. But like now, try to be as non biased as you can, which is hard for anybody to do. Is Mulan worse? Then what Lion King? Sorry. Oh, uh, I thought you were doing it for dramatic effect. But it sounds like worse than.
1: Um, no, yeah. Lion King is probably worse. Okay, because uh,
0: I have that feeling because I yeah. saw all the Mulan reviews and I was like, okay, I I understand and I'm not excited, but at the same time, Mu- yeah, is it Mulan Lion is King? just
1: a? I don't know. They're in the same ballpark for me. Mulan is a mm-hmm. nothing movie. The Lion King is kind of a nothing movie. Oh, it is, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's you know apples and oranges, but like if mm-hmm. I were to watch one again, it'd probably be Mulan.
0: Okay. No, but I was just curious because yeah. I was just like, because again, this is, again, this was going to be one of those films where I I feel like because I think I'm now the only one of the friend our friend group who hasn't seen it because yeah. I wasn't there when you initially watched it, and I think oh, my yeah. family now has watched it, so like. <laughs> I'm just you got not left the behind. Well, yeah. Well, even the, but that's the thing is like when I saw the films that I, I needed to watch this year, I, I saw Mulan once and I was like, nah, I can wait. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if it's really. Go, I don't know if I'm really going to be in the minority on yeah, this yeah. one. I don't but need but to
1: uh, Lion King myself again.
0: No, not at all. Pushing that aside, getting right back into the good stuff. <laughs> back uh back to
1: our top ten, we're at number yeah. four. Yeah,
0: let's go there? ahead. Yeah, I go to number four. Number four is easy. It just came out on Christmas. It's soul, baby. Woo! Pixar Soul. <laughs> Which is again, is adding the fact that Pete Doctor might be at this very moment the best director Pixar has. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's now the chief officer, like operator yeah, there because he's, the, he's he, the big Karuna. yeah. He took Lassiter's position the for an obvious U-ball. reason. But like yeah, Doctor has gone from Monsters Inc. to Up to Inside Out, which I would consider his weakest, but still good. Yeah, I would to, agree with that. To Soul, which Soul is astounding. Again, I mean both. I think both Pixar films this year have a level of maturity that, like, I definitely could expect from Pixar, but I don't expect it to go into the lengths that it does. Yeah, especially for Soul, which is a film that is entirely about death. <laughs> and uh, reconciliation and just kind of figuring out what is what is the meaning of life. And the film's answer to that is so just mature and interesting. And the, and even without that, the cast is hilarious. The film is gorgeous. Oh, my God, the score. Is oh, John yeah. Batiste's uh, jazz r- arrangements are incredible. Atticus Ross, I mean, Tran and Atticus, resonance. Again, they went from Mank, which is just a Citizen Kane love letter, to this, which is just the score is so well done from yeah. them too, and just like across the board, Jamie Fox, Tina Fey, great. Graham Norton was a surprise; loved him. It's all, all, everything about it, like it just hit me in the right place, and I feel like I would. It honestly was the first time where I was like, is is Pixar always been back, or is this like the first time I felt <laughs> like Pixar is now just hitting like you're yeah. hitting home runs again cuz even though Onward is not what I don't even know if it's in the top 10 best Pixar films Onward is still pretty damn great in places. Mm. I mean honestly, I mean Onward probably has the most interesting director at Pixar right now, but Doctor is still the best. Yeah. So I would say Soul, regardless of any kind of discourse you've heard about the film, I would recommend watching it yourself and yeah. giving the giving it a watch cuz like if there's any film that is now having to relegate to Disney Plus because of the pandemic, Soul should be the film you watch. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed Soul. I thought it
1: was, like you said, a very mature kind of family movie or kids mm-hmm.
0: movie. And also Jamie Foxx. You can't go wrong with that. Oh, yeah, he's great. he's wonderful. What's your number four, Andy? Let's get to my, it. My number four. Don't rush me. I'm not rushing. Um, I'm just excited.
1: <laughs> my number four is a... Uh, I think it's a Danish movie by director Thomas Vinterberg starring <sighs> Mads Mikkelsen. I, oh, I, I want to see this so bad. It's called Another Round. Uh, basically, it's about four high school teachers who are friends, four men, um, and they're all friends, and they're kind of stalling in life, I mean, in terms of like their passion for teaching and their passion for their marriage. You know, they're just kind yeah. of, like, coasting, and they're kind of not into it, and... Uh, going through the motions, and they, they they find out or kind of learn about this experiment um, or this, this theory that... I love this premise so much. I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> so excited. They, they, they find out about this theory that basically, like, that humans operate optimally at, like, above .05 blood alcohol content. Mm-hmm. It's basically, like, You go through, like, you function better when you are just slight, just a little drunk. Um, And they decide to put that theory to the test and they start drinking at work, which is a school, a high school, I think. Um, Yeah. And it goes right and it goes wrong and it goes a bunch of different ways. And the best part about it is that it's not, it doesn't lean too heavily in either direction. I, I think too many movies that, are about drinking or have drinking as a, as a huge part of the story, lean either too hard into condemning alcohol um, or lean too hard into the like, you know, throw caution to the wind Mm -hmm. and party. Um, And this movie is really striking a healthy middle where it's like, you know, there is good to be gained out Mm -hmm. of this drug that we have popularized, Mm -hmm. but there's also dangers. And like, It's okay to explore that gray area, and it's just a lot of fun, and it's emotional, and it's heartbreaking, and it's hilarious, and it's got some great dance moves from Mads (laughs) Mickelson that make it all worth it. If the rest of the movie doesn't work for you, stick around for the dance moves, because it knocks it out.
0: I am so jealous. I've been wanting to see that for (laughs) so long. And also, Mickelson and Vinterberg's last collaboration, which was The Hunt, I had seen that and let me tell you seeing them do the another another round made me so happy because the hunt if you want a film where you want to basically hate humanity for a few days the hunt is the best emotional roller coaster for that type <laughs> of vibe because it is just a miserable film yeah so when the another round was announced i was like oh thank god it's somewhat fun. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's probably a lot gonna of fun. be it's gonna be sad too. But like, at least it'll be fun for a little yeah. bit.
1: Oh, and I know I said the uh, the oily cakes from First Cow were like my number one movie food of the year, mm-hmm. but my number one movie drink of the year is the Sazerac cocktail from Another Round. Ooh. they kind of they. It's kind of a little montage where you see them make it, and it's like
0: mm, I want some. of that. I want some of that. All yeah. right, nice. <laughs> okay, let's go right into top three. Unless you want to do. Consideration like for you consideration. Oh, we can save like, that before number one. Oh, we can do perfect some honorable mentions. All right, but... the number three I think is also in your top three, but I don't it might not mm-hmm. be in the same place. Promising young woman. Oh yeah, that's my number three. Yes, I'm. So, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we got at least one. We on finally synced up <laughs> because we both saw this together. Yeah, um, we were both shocked by how we're just shocked by how good it was. Oh yeah, just because like this is a film that is handling a topic that could go anywhere, could mm-hmm. really really just like plant face first and not work well and also oh, yeah. stick the landing. And for some reason, this film kind of sticks it in a unique way yeah. that I, that I loved. It, and it, it
1: sticks the landing and the landing is like on a tight rope and it's teetering back and forth. Yeah. And you're like, Oh
0: man. I mean, you got like, I mean, Emerald Fennel is killing it at her directorial debut. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan is showing once again that, at this point, she should just be in everything, and everyone should be excited that she's in everything. Yeah. Bo Burnham, just a wonderful man, uh, always yeah. good to see him in other things. Right, and just overall, the color palette looks like this weird, demented version of like this world is like. What if Legally Blonde still existed? Yeah, <laughs> or like Heather's kind of like
1: horrifying this... perversion of that kind of candy-coated yeah, like, sugar yeah.
0: pop. And it works so well, yeah, the composition and the shots are incredible. The editing is well done. the music choices, yeah it's intense, it's upsetting, it's hilarious at times, even when maybe it's not trying to be as hilarious it is for some reason they just handle it so well. yeah,
1: well, I think a lot of the a lot of the when the writing kind of airs toward the like basic side or like mm-hmm. an, an obvious line or whatever the actors really deliver stuff in kind of an offbeat way where you're like yeah ah, mm-hmm. they they really did something with that yeah. line they didn't have to the film
0: definitely has i think it's intentional that they sandwich any kind of intense moment right next to it with a silly yeah or maybe like a emo- cutesy it's an kind absolute of roller coaster it is of a movie
1: and like this is probably i know i said this earlier but this is probably the best execution this year of like the kind of tonal whiplash, yeah, tonal shifts, like shifting constantly. rapidly between funny and dark and horrifying and sad mm-hmm. and uplifting yeah. and in the cathartic. same scene too. Oh, same scene, and same conversation,
0: so, and it's also like, and I've only seen clips of the show, but there are moments and it's like, oh yeah, I guess I could see Killing Eve to a degree from this woman's <laughs> yeah. pedigree because it's like, yeah. it just, it is balancing so many things at once. It's understandable why we even know some people that like who who do we we know somebody from the app who gave this a one star. I oh, think do we? I think we do, but like it is all over the place. Yeah,
1: it's a polarizing movie, and, and I totally understand yes. why. I mean, it, it's we didn't really say this uh, at the beginning, but it's it's about it's kind it's a it's a revenge thriller. Yeah, about. You know, rape culture and the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. sexual
0: assault, and guys being dicks. And um, I would recommend looking up the trailer. Yeah, the trailer, watch the is, trailer is exactly what you're going to get from it. And if you're thinking, "Oh my god, these scenes are already kind of making me tense up," it's going to do that in oh, the yeah. film. Yeah, it is. But a it'll f- also make you laugh. Yes. Hopefully. It is it is a film that I think uh any woman who watches this is going to have like kind a of like a visceral reaction. Yeah, visceral maybe a little bit triggering in places depending yeah. Yeah, on definitely. like yeah, ex- especially experiences with shitty men. But overall, like this film for both of us while well, we understand the polarizing kind of views on it and how crazy it's like just handling everything we both loved it enough to put it on our number three spot yeah. at the same time. <laughs> oh, phenomenal movie. It's so much fun and so fucked up. Yeah. But that's what makes it great. Yeah. All right, number two for me, uh, you, uh, Bad Education. Bad Education. Right that was,
1: uh, that'll be an honorable mention okay. for me.
0: Bad Education for me, if you don't know what Bad Education is, it's based off a true story where... Does Hugh Jackman play the principal? He's the superintendent. He's the superintendent, yes. He plays a school superintendent based off a true story, a wild true story. And, um, again, this is a situation where there's so much to the story. Watch the trailer. I recommend it. It's from the director of Thoroughbreds, which was a film that came out a few years Mm. ago with Olivia Cook and Anna Taylor-Joy. Also a great film. And it's also one of Anton Yelchin's last films before he passed away. But um, Bad Education... It's one of Hugh Jackman's best performances, probably in my top 3 Hugh Jackman films. It is a film that every time you think it has surprised you, like it's like it's never going to surprise me again, it just keeps doing it. Over and over and over to the point at the end of the film, if I recall correctly, my dad was speechless, my mom was speechless and I was speechless. I could <laughs> not believe that like even towards the end of like this 2-hour film that there was still shit that we had to uncover. Yeah. That is insane. And surprisingly true, and it is a tr- it's truly a crime that like this film wasn't given a theatrical release. Yeah. And while I understand I'm very thankful that like HBO pushed this as hard as it could, this film needs to be seen in theaters or at least given a chance if you can rent that theater out. <laughs> give that education a shot. Yeah. Because like you get great performances from Alice and Janney. Ray Romano is just wonderful oh, in his yeah. little movie and Geraldine Viswanatha is in it too for a little bit. And just overall, Bad Education has been in the back of my mind since I saw it. And it's definitely my number two and it stayed that way probably for the majority of this year. Yeah. One of the, one of those movies that like you're
1: it's just continually disappointing you and and upsetting mm-hmm. you with the the behaviors these characters, oh, yeah. you know, partake in, and it's just like, oh, like the, you, when you're when they're about to redeem themselves yeah. or kind of make it right, it's just like oh, you're the, even more scuzzy oh, yeah. than I thought. The common phrase
0: watching this film is, "Oh, this can't get any worse." Yeah, it does, and it it's. Yeah. It's – all right, Andy. Number two, what do you got?
1: My number two has uh, already been brought up. It's You Cannot Kill David Arquette. I
0: cannot believe it's this high, and that's not saying it's not that good. I I just –
1: Yeah, loved it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, once again, really strong year for documentaries. And honestly, this is probably the least journalistic of the documentaries on my list. This is like a dark
0: horse – Documentary in terms yeah. of like the critically acclaimed ones. Oh yeah, well,
1: and in in terms
0: of its documentary
1: nature, it's much less objective, much less journalistic <laughs> in how it covers the events. It's it's ultimately, uh, it's about David Arquette's wrestling career, and since it's about professional wrestling, it also mimics the styles and the energy, uh, the energy, and also even like the narrative. Mm-hmm. uh yeah trajectory of pro wrestling in that like it's not fake no but it's like a heightened reality just 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 like pro wrestling where it's like okay the the winner might be determined yeah Mm -hmm. but like they still have to kind of beat the crap out of each other and they still have to bleed and sweat and cry Mm -hmm. and hurt themselves in order to be successful in that career and like that this movie you know, it, it is a heightened sense of reality, and there's kind of little uh, insert bits, you know, transitional bits of, like, you know, him mm-hmm. meeting his sensei on the shore and, like, oh, riding his horse yeah. around his ranch with a cape oh, flowing yeah. in the oh, yeah. breeze. It's, you know, dramatic to the, to the maximal degree, but it's ultimately real and raw, and it's digging into this guy's very mm-hmm. personal journey yeah. to kind of write what he, you know, what ultimately people perceive as a wrong that he did against an entire community of fans it's
0: probably one of the best modern examples of how to toe the line of the idea of a passion project yeah because obviously a lot of those shots are done in the way where it's like i think david was going to love this when he sees this in film but i do think yeah in a year where it is filled with tiger kings covid documentaries the true crime all the time Mm -hmm. it not it's not surprising that this film kind of goes under the radar in terms of documentaries because it is the wrestling documentary with Arquette. And that's why we're telling you, if you're looking for a fun documentary that is so much better than it has any right to be, this is it. And, yeah, you cannot kill David Arquette. so good.
1: Well, and, I mean, it it was kind of made further the the dark horse because it was exclusively an an on-demand release. It was yes, not in theaters. Right, it was right. not on streaming, so it didn't have any of those extra platforms. So, if if you want to look for it, you'll find it, but not yeah. as accessible as some of the others, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not.
0: But before we get into our number one, it's time for honorable mentions. Yeah, I've said a couple of mine. I guess early in the year, the uh, the director behind Your Name released his follow up, Weathering with You. It's not as good as you, Your Name, but it's a gorgeous animated film. Mm. And I could only watch the English dub because that was the only one allowed at the time. But, like, it has Lee Pace, Allison Brie. It has a really good English dub that works incredibly well. And I would recommend that if you're especially looking for an animation film to watch. Uh, Onward too Onward's, a I think, a great animation film in terms mm-hmm. of, like... Dan Scanlon has been, now, he is the king of both his films are films that should not work, <laughs> um, should not be as emotional as they are, but uh, both hit me in a way that I did not expect from them. And so from this point forward, I think Scanlon is definitely going to be the one to watch at Pixar. And also, just a bunch of D&D nerdy shit that actually is handled well <laughs> and is fun. I mean, yeah. Uh, throw a couple of years out because I'm trying to still okay. think of mine. Yeah
1: um i've got a few well bad education was one you you mm-hmm. just you had it a little higher than i did but mm-hmm. i still think it's up there and worthy of consideration mm-hmm. um the gentleman was a oh, uh, yeah. a really early release and i know this one kind I've, of it had mm-hmm. its fans but also kind of got swept under the rug by a lot yeah. of people is a guy Ritchie movie mm-hmm. and it's just guy Ritchie doing stuff that guy Ritchie wants to do and having fun with his friends and it's yeah maybe the most lackadaisical of any of his like crime movies or action Absolutely. movies uh, but just a lot of fun i mean co- like it's a bunch of guys in plaid track suits sh- yeah. shooting at each other and conning each other and mm-hmm. you know you get uh hugh grant in one of his like smarmiest scuzziest performances the most ever into
0: hugh grant <laughs> scenes probably since paddington <laughs> and 2 and it's incredible um charlie hunnam kills it in like the scenes he's oh, in yeah 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 it's the first time in a while where it's like because yeah, King Arthur legend of the sword for me it's just a fun ride because it's like this movie is doing bad shit insane stuff yeah. and i can and it's like and they they gave someone money to do this so i guess yeah. i'll appreciate at least something before this movie <laughs> yeah. fails but yeah the gentleman was a weird like january release that just works really yeah. well yeah You're, just
1: an out of you know yeah an unusually fun january <laughs> movie yes yes
0: oh uh, gosh so many good movies this year it's it's uh... I'm trying to think of other ones because, in all honesty, like this year overall has just had very solid picks. Yeah, and even the ones that we didn't love as much as each other, maybe I still really enjoyed a lot. Yeah, and I guess if there's any honorable mention, since we're not doing TV, I just gotta say my favorite TV show of the year. And this is someone who's not a basketball fan: <laughs> The Last Dance. Oh, yeah. The Last Dance is a. 10, basically, if you want to watch it as a 10-hour film, you have every right to do so. It is engaging, the most engaging thing this year in terms of, like, it is astounding. Like, if you want to watch this just for Michael Jordan meme shit, you (laughs) get it. Because you get a lot of great footage of Michael Jordan just being Michael Jordan. But if you want to, this is the great example of, like, something like how Moneyball works, where you go into this, you might know nothing about what they're talking about, but by the end of it, you want to know everything. You want? I want so many different last dances of things I know nothing about. But like, the Last Dance is so well produced, so engaging, and the fact that it's ten hours and it never lets up. Yeah. Like, you know, Tiger King was a hit. It's understandable why it was hit when it came out. But the Last Dance is a hit. It should be remembered, especially yeah. especially for ESPN's thirty for thirty, because it's it's practically a thirty. It's like it's like here's ESPN's Avengers Endgame of thirty for thirties. Here's yeah. like the most money we're gonna push onto one of these. <laughs> but uh, do you have any TV shows you want to recommend to people? Uh, or just I didn't like... watch
1: a lot of TV this year, but I, I do have a couple more movies I'd like to throw yeah, some throw some light on. Um, one is uh, Shit House. <laughs> which is the uh, is super it's gonna be probably my most under the radar pick of the list. Well, maybe other than David Arquette. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shithouse is the feature film debut of writer, director, and star Cooper Rafe. Um, really. If if any of you saw in twenty eighteen Bo Burnham's eighth grade, which yes. was kind of a you know, a day in the life or a slice of life of like mm-hmm. that era of, Do of tell yes, development. Okay. This is that for college or for, like, freshman year of Mm -hmm. college. It's very much – it's this lonely guy, goes off to college, has trouble making friends, meets a girl that he gets along with. They have one of those nights where they stay up all night talking to each other and just, like, really connect. And then he's like, wow, I'm in love with her. And then it's like, oh, wait, maybe we were just really drunk or, Mm -hmm. you know, is there really anything here? It's just, you know, he – There's so many powerful moments of him just like calling home to his mom just to be like, I don't know what I'm doing here and just exploding on her. And it's it's heart wrenching and like just super impressive from I'm sure he's made short films, but like I think Mm -hmm. this is his first feature and to write and direct and star in it and just knock it out of the park this well, I was super impressed.
0: All right. I didn't, he- I didn't even know about that. All right.
1: Um, so All definitely right. my yes. eyes are on Cooper Ray for sure for to sure. see what he
0: does. Um, um, one that we haven't brought up, especially Honorable Mentions for me, this almost hit number 10 at certain points. But uh, in terms of a comedy sequel that has no right working as well as it does, as well as having um, more heart than it has any right to have, Borat's subsequent movie oh, film yeah is surprisingly great yeah and it's also just again you have a co-star with sasha baron cohen that is on his level basically in her own way and while it does have its well it does take a while to fully get into what it's trying to do it's entertaining from start to finish and the ending is just hilariously (laughs) bonkers yeah and it's again it's a sequel that like you know, at a certain point, we were just like, okay, he did Bruno. Bruno's fun, and I think it's pretty great, but it's not as good as the original Borat. And Then he started doing stuff like that Mark Strong, kind of like kooky spy film that he did with him. Oh, the Spy. Di- yeah. It, no, no, no. <laughs> it's Wasn't that called Spy? It was Brothers Grimsby. Oh, the Brothers Grimsby. Oh, yeah, yeah, where he comes out of a rhino's vagina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Spy is the Jason Statham.
0: Though. Yes. Uh, the Dictator, like, we we never really knew, or I don't know, I didn't never really wanted a sequel to this film. No. But it felt like the perfect time it came out, it felt like it actually handles all of its real people in a way where it's not really judging them or even trying to characterize them in a bad way. It's yeah. just... It feels like you're definitely a fly on the wall in something that's truly fascinating (laughs) and weird. Well, and and
1: it's filmed and takes place mostly during the COVID pandemic. So it's like you're, it's a very, very timely, very kind of on the pulse. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's just a lot of fun, a weird look into this really
0: weird time that we're living in. Yes. And I think my last film I would put as a recommended because it's, I think, one of the most surprising films that just was so damn good. It's a genre film that's on Hulu. It's called Run. It's a Sarah oh. Paulson thriller uh, starring a physically handicapped actress playing a girl finding out that her mother might be more than she assumed. Oh. And it's it very much is, if you watch this film and go, oh, this feels like misery, the film is very well aware of that <laughs> and actually plays with that so well. Sarah Paulson is, again, an actress that kills it way too much when she has no right to do it as well as she does. The main actress um, is also killer. It's like her first role, and she just hits it out of the park. It's directed by the guy who did uh, Searching with John Cho, which is also a great film. And I think having run under his belt, too, means he's basically two for two at this point. And I'm excited (laughs) to see what he does. So if you're looking for a good genre thriller that is just like... We all three, like our friend Adam, watched it with me and my other roommate, and i don't know if he was really into it initially but like by the end of it we were all just like way too into <laughs> certain aspects of it but yeah recommend run
1: um yeah just one more and i'll be quick on it just barely got beat out by nomad land for my top 10 but uh another documentary uh, athlete a it's the story about the um oh uh, larry nasser the oh, usa gymnastics yes, doctor yes, yes. um <sighs> where while you cannot kill david arquette is like the on one end of the spectrum with like subjective dramatic kind of fun goofy weird surreal documentaries Mm -hmm. athlete a is on the opposite end of the spectrum this thing is surgical in its level of detail um and the the amount the the intricacy with which it goes into the not only the journalistic process of the Indianapolis Star um, news reporter team mm-hmm. I, yeah. breaking this news, but also kind of putting together a case against Larry Nasser and getting enough people to speak up and enough witnesses mm-hmm. and you know people to testify against him. It's one of those movies that really makes you appreciate um, not only the the pain and the the burden that you know sexual abuse and harassment puts on its survivors but also the amount of work it takes to bring justice Mm -hmm. to these perpetrators Um, especially somebody in as powerful a position as Larry Nassar Mm -hmm. was Um, just a really awesome super detailed played super straight and even and no less dramatic or emotional for it Um, Mm -hmm. really great courtroom sequence at the end that's just super cathartic
0: all right, a- Athlete 8, oh my god! I think it's on it's, Netflix. It is. I remember Athlete 8 was one of those films where it's like, wow, this is going to be a bummer. I'll <laughs> add it to the list. And then yeah. again, just like a lot of things have during this gas leak year, yeah. old gas leak year. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. So good that like we can get stories out like that and just be like, again, being able to have Netflix to push that story and how important it is to have those stories yeah. out there because- it is insane that things like that can happen, Yeah. especially in plain sight for some of those people. And um, trying to get it right back into something exciting, <laughs> we're going to do in our number ones. Number and one. I know for a fact, because I think I got a little bit of a peek of no. yours, yours is not at all, it's on the different side of the spectrum than mine. Oh, okay, in terms uh, So of you, Yeah, you definitely go first. Okay,
1: my number one is uh, one that I think in, in a lot of circles I've seen kind of get overshadowed by Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I think it's way superior in a lot of ways. It's called One Night in Miami, mm-hmm. and it's another one that I have seen that most people probably will not have seen yet because it doesn't actually get a a major release, yeah. a wide release until like the 15th of January.
0: If you were listening 30 hours ago, we were talking about how this does come out January 15th on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So yeah. you were lucky enough to get a, a screener. Yeah, I was able to get a it. screener. Because this is Regina King's directorial debut. Yeah,
1: Regina King directs, um, and she absolutely kills it. This is another one I'm of those. so glad to hear that. This is another one of those that's like, uh, it's a it's a play turned a small cast play. Small ensemble play turned into a movie. It's basically, you know, four guys sitting around a room talking, and it's as exciting or more than any big action movie could be. Um, basically, the premise is uh, on, a, on a night in 1964, I think, um, after Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, beat uh, Sonny Liston for the heavyweight boxing title. mm mm-hmm. um, to celebrate, he went back to this hotel with Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, <laughs> the, the NFL player, and it's basically kind of a mythical, kind of fictionalized rendition of what happened that night, what did they talk about, what did they do, What? how did they yeah. c- celebrate the evening, and it's, it's talking about issues that were plaguing the black community then and still are today, and four killer performances from guys who are you know none of these none of these actors verge on the like caricature they they just take really interesting perspectives on playing very recognizable personas (laughs) and absolutely kill it uh great cinematography and editing great blocking from regina king stellar performances super powerful Leslie Odom Jr. knocks it out of the park singing as Sam Cook. I mean, he always knocks it out of the park whenever he sings, but here mm-hmm. especially, it's, it's awesome.
0: It's crazy that he's technically the most popular of those actors. Oh yeah, By because a, because a of his shot, because of his Hamilton fame. Yeah. But even even with that, in terms of films, there's very little Leslie. The last Leslie Odom Jr. film that I can think of is Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, like he's. I mean, like I and mean, an even known
1: more for. Stage
0: stuff. Yeah, yeah. and like his voice. And like, so he's perfect for Sam Cooke. But then you have the guy who plays Cassius Clay who is.
1: um, Uh, Eli Gorey? Yeah, he is
0: Mad Dog on Riverdale, which is something (laughs) I wish I didn't know, but I do. Uh, Jim Brown, the guy who plays Jim Brown Albus was, Hodge. was MC Wren in straight out Compton. Yeah. And he's in the Invisible Man. He is in the Invisible Man. That's yeah. right. That's right. I, I was
1: watching one night in Miami. I was like, where have I seen this guy before? That's, yeah. It, <laughs> I was gonna
0: say, I was like, I know he's in straight out Compton. Where else have I see him? That makes sense. Yeah. He's the fun he's the nice friend, <laughs> Invisible Man, that you just don't want to see. Yeah. Like, please don't do anything to this man. Yeah. And
1: then Kingsley Ben Adir is Malcolm X.
0: And he was and... in I think the only film that's big that he's been in so far prior to this was that disney plus anna kendrick oh yeah well yeah because my mom knew my mom saw like uh, i showed her the trailer and she's like i've seen that guy before i think yeah. he's in no well i'm like the
1: yeah. anna kendrick movie but i mean if this if this movie is a massive boon to any of these guys career it's well deserved i hope so the, all four of them absolutely smash it i mean Mm, i'm so excited malcolm x and sam cook are kind of the main focal points Mm -hmm. but there's still plenty of attention given to uh to muhammad ali and jim brown as well and it's just it's nuanced and it's multi-perspective and it's moving and sad and uplifting and
0: it's everything I mean, the, one of the biggest fears about watching an actor and actress that you love go into more of a production side of things is that you're worried that like it won't work out for them. So with Regina King, especially since she just killed it on Watchmen a year prior, yeah. the fact that she goes into this film, it's her directorial debut, and it is getting as much buzz as you're giving it, that is so great. I'm mm-hmm. so excited to see this and see all these... And see the ensemble, see her, see everyone kill it out of the park with this one. Yeah. And um, now to get to my number one, <laughs> not one night in Miami. It is on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum Let's in hear it. almost every way. This film is my only five out of five. All the other films so far okay. at this point, I think Boys in the Band to me is like a four out of five. Yeah. And then nine through two have been four and a halves. Okay, where it's like all those films have been fantastic. I've every one in my top ten. I've enjoyed but maybe there's just been that one little thing that bothers me there. Where it's like, I can't for the life of me get it yet, but I don't feel like it's a five out of five yet, but this film, I saw it. It captivated me. It was one of my favorite movie experiences this year because I was watching it with a friend And the best way to describe the first time watching this film. This film is basically almost like an existential horror puzzle that every piece you start to uncover, especially with the friend, you get more engaged You're more interested. You're wondering what the fuck is going on. And when you get to the end, if you even know what the twist is by the end of it, it is heartbreaking. It's strangely funny. It's well acted across the board. And so with that, my choice for number one is also a Netflix original film mm-hmm. and it is Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. At first I
1: couldn't figure out what it was going to be and then you said <laughs> existential horror. Yes. I was like, ah, there it because is. Because
0: the film is so shocking. It starts off, the premise itself seems very straightforward. It's about a new couple and it follows the, the girlfriend who is about to meet the parents for the first time and she's thinking about possibly that her and her boyfriend are not right for each other. And she's thinking of ending things. It's as straightforward as that, except it isn't. <laughs> and it's when you watch the film, the way that it's edited, every aspect of this film, like I am, I am not shitting you. I've watched people analyze this film. Cause like, cause I've, I've seen it once. I watched someone analyze it and it, even the aspects that I didn't initially catch the first time when you watch it a second time, they are not only more apparent; it's more tragic. It's insane the amount of detail Kaufman puts into this film, to the point where it's like, you know, Oklahoma has a huge relevance in this film. <laughs> uh, film has a huge relevance in this, and yeah. like tropes in film. Uh, Tony Collette is in this and kills it. De La oh, he's so good. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Plemons. Because, yeah, just, Jesse
1: Buckley and Jesse Plemons, yeah, are both. Phenomenal. Jesse
0: Buckley deserves a nomination, I think, for her performance in this film because she, watching her slowly figure out, or at least kind of figure out that something's not right, is what also makes this even more horrifying because you're <laughs> all, you're scared for her to even find out what the truth is, and it's just so shocking to me, just by the end of this film. There's just, it gives you, it gives you every single clue. It just thinks, it just like, listen, I think you're, Coffin's like, I think you're smart enough to like, I'm just going to give you all the clues. And if you don't get it the first time, that's all right. Watch it a second time. If you do enjoy the ride. And the first time watching it, my roommate, Jake and I, Jake would catch on to something and I would look him right in the eye and go, holy fuck, you're right. (laughs) Oh no. And then we're like, we just got like another, it, it just, it's such, it's so intriguing But I will also warn people who are now curious about the film, it is very, very, very weird. Oh, yeah. To the point where, like, if you are 30 minutes in and you're still feeling like, I don't know what this film is giving to you, don't worry. You're human. (laughs) Everyone I think I've talked to about it has been, like... Yeah, this film is just like the first, like there's a there are so many long car rides, yeah. but there's so much content in those car rides. Yeah. And also, there is a joke in this film. It is a it is a visual gag, but it's a visual gag that I have truly not I had to pause the film. I had laughed hard at. It was a niche joke, but I nearly cried at how how just how mean and silly that joke was in such a <laughs> weird film yeah this i mean this film came out in september it just like came out yeah and then like no one it was like here it is
1: (laughs) describing a movie as dreamlike is almost a cliche yeah um but this movie more than maybe any movie i've ever seen really captures the experience of being in a dream yes and you're like everything's out of your control things are changing from one shot to another mm-hmm. that like should be the same and you kind of just accept them mm-hmm. as reality and you're like, oh, okay, that's different now. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, there, there's a nightmare around every corner, but this isn't quite a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It's a bad dream, but it's not exactly yes. a nightmare.
0: It is astounding, just like... The amount of tension yeah. the whole time is just, ugh. there's just This is the type of film... Or like, immediately after I watched it, it's based off a book, I looked up the book just out of curiosity, being like, all right, is this book as weird as this film? Not only is it, like, a pretty much a straightforward adaptation to a degree of the book, the movie even is more cryptic than the book itself. <laughs> it gives you even, because, like, the book at one point is just like, I'm, I'm just going to give you the answer. Well, as in this film, it's like Kaufman's like, oh, I already gave you the answer, like, 20 minutes ago. And it's like, I didn't notice that part. Yeah. <laughs> It is just, it is a film that I didn't expect to enjoy as much as I did. Because I know, like, again, this is like Promising Young Woman. This is a polarizing film. Yeah. It's Kaufman. Kaufman is uh, all over the place in terms of, like, you know, you got art house fans who love everything he does, and then you have other critics. Like one of like our boss Chris Lloyd, who is like Mm. very much into realism and almost literalism, and this film is the antithesis of literalism (laughs) to the point where it's like it is the best way I think I just I can describe it. It's like imagine if you have a really warm blanket that is very cozy, and you find out that blanket is eating you from your feet up, (laughs) and you don't know how to get out of it. Like it's comfy. But now you're scared because you don't know what to do from this point forward. Like, it's just so so deceiving in how it gives you breadcrumbs from the get-go. And it's not until, like, you rethink certain things that you go, wow, can't believe I just didn't think of that out of the top of my head. (laughs) And, like, out of all the films on my list, I mean, they're all fantastic. I've thought about them days after I saw them. But for, I'm thinking of ending things, I think practically every day post-watching it, <laughs> there's been a moment of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, maybe that. And like, it's it's just, a, it is a film that is not saying you are stupid if you don't understand it. But it's a film that it's so confident in its dreamlike, nuts, nightmare horror that like, if you can't get into it, totally understandable. But if you can... Enjoy the ride, <laughs> like because I know you. There was a part at the very end of the film that you were yeah. not a fan of. It I kind of like lost you a me. bit. Yeah, yeah. But for me, like when it got to that point, I was like, I was like, nothing's going to stop me from <laughs> wanting to know more right now. <laughs> so, yeah, there's our number ones. This is the longest podcast we've done so far, oh, yeah. and uh, thank God it is because the, we're only going to do these maybe once a year. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Our next uh, trilogy is still in the works. I'd say keep up to social media. We're gonna yeah. give you breadcrumbs here and there. But until then, I hope you had a fantastic Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, just happy holidays all together. Happy New Years! Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, like this mm-hmm. last, uh, I mean it's it's only been like barely. It's almost been five months at yeah. this point, and it's yeah. just astounding how time has gone by. This has definitely been. Just speedy and enjoyable. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited for this year. Yeah, we, I'm we excited to, to
1: see what, what kinds of things we can get into this year.
0: Now yeah. that we have kind of a full calendar year ahead of us. Yes. To and, plan out. and because of that, with that said, thank you so much for listening. We are so excited to have you back later this month. We already have some ideas of what later months will be. Mm-hmm. But for this month, we're going we're to make it a surprise. We're make it a surprise. <laughs> um, but until then... I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And have a happy 2021. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Bye.